White Rocket Entertainment, podcast number 521. You're listening to the AU Wishbone, almost credible sports discussion on the White Rocket Entertainment Network. Bye bye, Bo! Welcome to the AU Wishbone, brought to you by White Rocket Entertainment in association with TheWarRegalReader.com and by people like you, the Auburn family, the AU Wishbone family, our Patreon.com family. We love you. We can't live without you. I'm Van Allen Plexico, and I'm joined as always by my co-host, John Ringer. Well, John, we're back for another week. We've got uh, a couple of basketball games, unfortunately, to talk about because they weren't the greatest games ever. Um... Got some uh, signing day, more or less. I guess actual signing day, or we can debate if that's which is which signing day is the real signing day, and a few other things. As a old signing day, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's the February signing day, and there's the what is it? Fall? Is it December? November? When is the new one? I can't even remember. De- 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 it's December. December. Okay, so. And it kind of stole all the thunder away from the old one and, and rendered it kind of boring and pointless. But uh, it was actually a little bit interesting for us this year. But I mean, I don't remember, I guess it's just because of the circumstances, but I don't remember us getting such a large proportion of our signing class on the February signing day ever since there's been a December signing day. Is that right or wrong? Mm, it seems fair. I mean, it's, uh, proportionally, yes. I think we probably had five or six signees and some other February but proportional to the whole class it does i see what you're saying that it was a larger share yeah yeah it it just didn't seem like we had that many guys compared to everybody else in december and we were kind of looking to this to fill it out and let me let me um before i know we're going to get to it in more depth in a minute but let me just ask you this while i'm thinking about it because i will forget if if gus had still been the coach and nothing had changed would our signing day last week have been better the same or worse rankings wise it would have been better because we lost some guys yes okay but that considered it was still pretty decent right for for un, un, <laughs> to the contrary of what the al.com guy said that made me pull my hair out uh, i didn't i didn't even bother to yeah. Get upset about it. You were wise. Basically, there was a guy that wrote a column. Those of you who didn't hear it, there was a guy that wrote a column that said that Harson is already failing and already falling behind because he didn't come in and blow the doors off in February recruiting. And he just got, you know, buried on Twitter for saying that, among other places, because it's such an incredibly stupid, ignorant thing to say that, you know, the guy's been there just a few couple of weeks. This signing period was pretty much over. And, you know, anything he was able to get. And the ones we did have, as you were just saying, we, we may have lost because Gus being gone, the ones that Gus has been recruiting. And so it's just absurd, isn't it, to, to try to somehow call him a failure because he didn't come in and pull out a miracle on the February signing day? That just seems yeah. ridiculous. No, it's, it, it's silly. I mean, first of all, from a math perspective, there, if Auburn had gotten all of the top uncommitted players in the country to sign with it, 
he still wouldn't have made the whatever the top five or top ten, I don't think. Yeah. So because literally, like Jeffrey Lee said this other day on their podcast, like out of the top 250 players in the country, like 235 had already signed mm-hmm. in December. Yeah. So then you take like those 15 guys and like the next 250 guys, and that's the pool of guys Auburn was trying to get, you know, a group of guys out of, and they did. So, you know, the, the, the measure and evaluation of this coaching staff will be a year from now. And you and I will have that discussion at that point. Um, right. It, we talked about this, you know, back when we, before we fired Gus and after we fired Gus, that the, we, we had not changed coaches before in the early signing period era. And it's different. It really, I think, yeah, is a problem. It sets coaches up for failure. Uh, on the other side of the equation, I think Harson and his staff did as well as they possibly could given the circumstances. And if this kid, you know, gets out of his commitment from Tennessee and signs with Auburn, we're going to finish in the top 25 and maybe like 20th. So given where they were and when they came in, I think that'd be outstanding. Sure. Now, you know, is that, does that lead to, you know, winning the SEC or whatever? No, but they know what the deal is, and I think the, in particular, you know, they're out there beating the bushes for some great offensive linemen in the next two classes, um, and I think that's, you know, going to be the story. So Yeah, so um, we'll see. I mean, you know, remember, too, that recruiting classes aren't just based on overall average numbers or whatever it's also based on the the individual players you get that fit what you need and that work out you know work out one way or another some mm-hmm. work out great and we've we've certainly i mean honestly over the last few years i would be willing to bet that out of all out of the three stars four stars and five stars we brought in we've had more problems with the five stars than the three or four stars as a proportion of their of the number of players because it seems like we brought in about That's I feel like we've brought in probably like 8 or 10 five-star players in the last several years and of those 8 or 10 maybe 3 of them have really worked out. I may be it's off. Fair. I, mean, I may it, be off base. And it's, it's no, no. I mean I think that's I I I think we probably remember the misses more than yeah. we do the the solid players, you know what I'm saying, who hung mm-hmm. around. Um but I think that's fair. And again, there's three pieces, right? There's evaluation, there's development, you know, and then there's the actual play on the field, right? And so on the coaching side, they have to evaluate players in high school, forget the rankings, like what can this kid do well and what can he do well in our system uh, mm-hmm. in terms of fit and that kind of stuff, but also evaluation in terms of the off the field stuff, you know, does he have does the kid want to work hard? Does he have good character and that kind of stuff? And so I think that's a big piece of what they're trying to be picky about. Um, and so I, I think, you know, I think that's a, I think that's an important piece. Clemson until recently did not finish in the top five in recruiting in, in uh, any year recently mm-hmm. until the last year or two. And, but they evaluated better. They were picky. Um and they chose well in terms of the players they did go after. Uh, and I think that's a, a good thing for Auburn to you know, kind of think about. And the other piece is then when guys get here, can you develop them and make them better? And I think, I think that's a fair, valid criticism of Gus and his staff is that there were players who, you know, at some positions did not get better. 
um, over time. There were clearly some some positions where you could say players got better. Um, I mean, Rodney Garner was probably not a fun person to, you know, to be coached by, but players on the defensive line have got better uh, well, during their time. So, you know, and I think we've had good defensive back coaches the last couple of years. So I, the other side is, you know, then you, then you deploy him and play him, you know, you know, on Saturdays and, and use them the right way and that kind of stuff. So I think this, this staff has to, has to do all those things. I think they can develop guys. Um, and so really, can they evaluate? Can they look in, and Harson talked about this. He talked about how hard it is to do that part without seeing guys in person, not just in camps, but to actually see them in person play and run around and interact with their teammates and stuff. So, man, and it feels like a hundred years since we got to do that. Mm-hmm. Man. Well, and and this is while we're talking about that, it makes me think about, you know, in terms of the evaluation piece and and the and the kind of the ongoing future piece with this recruiting class, there were parts of the country that did not play high school football in the fall that oh. are going to play high school football in the spring. There are multiple junior college leagues that did not play in the fall that are going to play in the spring, and so in all of those places, you know. Auburn has about five or six spots open on the mm-hmm. roster. And the and the the plan, and I'm sure it's the, the main part of the plan is to look at the transfers carefully and pick some good transfers that could help the team. There's a great offensive tackle transfer or two out there. We would take them. Um take but them. also I think it gives us an opportunity to look at these other places, these you know, states that are playing high school football in the spring or um these junior colleges that are playing in the spring to see who leaps out there that, you know, has spent the last year growing out of sight of everybody and getting bigger, stronger, faster, and, and then also working out or whatever, and gotten much better at football than anybody thought they would be. So those guys are going to be out there and no one will know until they show up and start making plays. And so I think there's probably going to be some late signees out of those places. Um, but then also as we you know, as I'm sure we're going to talk about a bunch today and over the next few weeks and months, there's, the transfers are going to be out there. Auburn's going to have to be, you know, um, careful and evaluative about what it's doing there. Well, we're going to talk more about signing day in a minute, but we do have a couple of basketball notes to, to kind of look at. The team just, um, they went out and lost to Georgia and they really just kind of got steamrolled from the jump. Georgia went up like 10 or more points on them at the very beginning of the game and then just kind of held them off the rest of the game. It felt like Georgia – I know this is one of those cliches and it's not really fair always, but just it felt like Georgia wanted that game more than we did. And maybe, Again, maybe that's not right, but it, it felt that way to me from the very beginning. We, we just almost seemed casual about it to me compared to how Georgia really, really wanted to get maybe revenge for us killing them last time. And then um, – the old Miss game is another one of those kind of like Arkansas where we, we led most of the way and then slowly they came back and they caught us right at the end, went to overtime and then kind of had a miracle shot in overtime after we had just tied the game up again. And, oh, man, what a roller coaster that one was. So, you know, you, you had a note here, not the happy place. I used to say <laughs> when our football team was suffering and – you know, a couple of years there, and and uh, and our basketball team was just so exciting to watch. I would say that you know Auburn basketball is my happy place. But um, this season, I just I tweeted this you know after the game too. I said we really just have to look at this season as a learning experience. I know that we want to win. I mean, 
A, we want to win as much as we can, and B, we're um, we're not playing in the postseason either in the SEC tournament or in the NCAA tournament. But you still want to win basketball games. You don't want to lose, and you want to gain experience. But I'm like, at this point, there were really there's really I, I felt like there were three things we had to play for. One, just to win. We want to win, you know, win games. Two, uh, to gain experience, and three, to to let the guys kind of. Uh, develop a chemistry so even if we lose Sharif next year um, they will the rest of them will hopefully and I hope not the rest of them hopefully will will have a better sense of how to play together because it's such a young you know there's not a senior on this team so I know what did you think about those two games and and how do you think now that now that we can't like do the 2000 you know we, we can't do the 1993 football thing where, oh, we're not in the postseason. We'll just have to go undefeated in the regular season and go, ha, take that. We can't even do that now. So, I mean, it just to me, this, all, this whole basketball season is starting to feel like one big practice for next year almost. What do you think? I get it, but I mean, we have to be careful not to always be looking ahead, looking ahead, looking ahead. We do need to savor the now and enjoy. Yes. It. Like, again, maybe Shreve Cooper's back and maybe he's not but I'm going to enjoy every game while he's at Auburn. I know that. Um, I, I think this is a super young team, and I think coming into this two-game stretch, remember we had that big win over Missouri at home. Oh, yeah. And we won the, a game before that, and I think they were kind of riding high, and we had kicked Georgia's rear end in their stadium. So I think coming off those games and seeing Georgia at home, I think the team was a little comfortable. Do you yes, know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And and I I agree with you 100%. I think Georgia came in way more intense than we did in that game. Yeah. And I think they it got kind of got away from us a little bit. Um and then in the Ole Miss game, I think you know, the you're right, we got way ahead. There was one series in the second half that really bothered me. We oh, had yeah. like a 3 on 2. And we got a, a dunk, and they called a charge. It was just a complete BS call. And Absolutely. I think that really turned the game around. Uh, it took the basket away, and it was a, I think it was a foul on Sharif. And yeah, it, it was. was just a complete horse crud call. So, I mean, it, we, we would have been up six maybe and, uh, you know, feeling good about ourselves. And instead, it was like four, and Ole Miss had the ball, and they immediately scored and whatever. So it was a big turning point in the game. Yeah. Um, and I didn't, I didn't, yeah, have a whole lot for those officials, but yeah. So those two games didn't really go the way we wanted, and again, it just they still feel like a team that is extremely individually talented and are still kind of working out the the bumps, you know, the lumps, the bumps. They don't really have; they're really missing Powell because they need a sharpshooter. You, when you depend on, mm-hmm. when you're depending on Devin Cambridge and Flanagan to be your you know your three-point shooter go-to guys. There are times they're both really good, and there are times they can't find the basket. They can't find the backboard. They can't find the ocean. You know, what I mean, they they just yeah. they get they're either very hot or very cold. And um, I mean, a lot of three-point shooters are that way. But we really got spoiled by some of the ones we had a couple of years ago, and um, and even last year. And we just don't have the offense. We're having to. We're. Ha- I feel like we're having to depend on Sharif too much to score. Um, he's having to be both the distributor and the scorer, especially without Powell there to, to kind of help him take some of the weight off. Um, 
we've got those big role players that Bruce always has on his teams. It seems like that are that are like good for like one random three pointer a game, five or six rebounds maybe a game, you know, and just some good dirty work in the paint. We've got those guys, and but we just don't really have sharpshooters on this team, and we don't really have anybody that can drive to the hoop and create offense other than Sharif right now. Uh, we, I mean, we have a couple that try, <laughs> but it seems like every time Flanagan lately does that, he charges. He gets out of control. He he's, he doesn't have yeah, he, that fine control over his attack that like Jared Harper had, or that Sharif more than more often than not has. Although he sometimes gets a little out of control too. They just it it feels like we need two things. They need to learn how to play together better, and that just takes experience and time. Remember, Sharif didn't even get to play for half this season. And they need that offensive. I feel like this is a good, well, see, all right. When they're at their best, they're playing really good defense, and I think they could beat almost anybody. I I don't know that they could ever beat Gonzaga or ever beat um, uh, Baylor the way they're playing now. They came close. They played decently against both, right? They hung in there with both. But when they're at their best, they are playing really good defense. And the last few games, to me, the other thing that's been missing besides that intensity, and maybe this is a a side effect of it, is the last few games I haven't felt like they've been playing really solid defense. They one one possession, they'll absolutely lock down their end and and you can't get a shot off. And then the next the next possession, the other team just comes right down and goes around them and scores like they're just standing there. It's just they're not consistent enough yet. I agree 100 percent on the on the defensive end. It's the it's the weakness of it's the biggest weakness of this team, and and it's gotten worse the last few games. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to throw a, a stat at you, an advanced stat. There's a uh, there's a uh, you know advanced statistics for basketball thing called Ken Palm, mm-hmm. and one of the stats that he runs is is basically a, a luck statistic, and it basically looks at like <laughs> based on the you know, you game by game, how well you're playing, how efficient you are on offense and defense and all that kind of stuff, you know, how well would you do? And, you know, in every other season under Bruce Pearl, Albert has been, in, you know, in the positives on this and in the top you know, 20 in the country. Last year, we were seventh in this one statistics. And it's because it's, again, it's basically luck, right? And this season, we are 307th in Division One in that statistic. And what does it measure exactly? And a lot of it, it's it's so it's basically saying like looking at the statistics and saying based on that you know here's what your your record should be here's how well you should be doing and here's oh. how well you you are doing. Interesting. Okay. So it's kind of like you know the kind kind of fifty fifty things loose balls mm. you know all those kind of things. Mm-hmm. It, it's not measuring that really. It's literally measuring like if offensive and defensive efficiency, but it's saying like how well you're playing. Um, you know, and the stats of how well you're playing versus your actual record, and this year we are really not good. So, so um, like if this so, was if it was football, it would be like you got this many yards per game, you had very few turnovers, you got 500 yards rushing and 300 yards passing, and yet you're 0 and 12, right? Yes. Because you kept, in other words, you kept fumbling on your opponent's goal line or throwing pick sixes on their goal line. They came back the other way 100 yards for a score. So your your numbers yeah. look great and you keep losing. And you committed a bunch. Yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> yeah. Any missed tackles, any missed right. field goals, and you you know committed penalties. Yes, exactly. Yeah, that so, makes sense. <laughs> so that I just thought that was interesting, but I, I I mean again I think things get better. But having said that, our our next two games are at Vanderbilt and at Kentucky, and. I know Kentucky's terrible, but that is a, Still. a house of horrors. Yes, yes, yes. I know it's like we're yeah. So we're going to play like one of the worst teams, and then the one with the best history and reputation and everything. I you know I, I guess I'll just say this. I I don't mind watching every Auburn basketball. I, I do. I watch every minute of every Auburn basketball game that I'm able to, and I my DVR is that just record all of them, and I watch them later if I don't get to see them live, and um. I don't mind sitting through a loss if we really play well. It's just like with football, you know. If we really play well and we're doing stuff right and they just beat us. But it's just the last couple of games, you know, here we were. I mean, before the loss to Georgia, you could look at our schedule and make a case that we might not lose more than one or two more games the rest of the season if we played at that level. And we could really go out with a bang and be one of the top teams and a great spoiler but now you look at our remaining schedule and what we've done lately, and it's like, but you know what? Then I say that, but, you know, honestly, Bruce's teams do this every year. They have that period in the second half of the SEC season every year where they kind of trip up. Like last year, they because I was there, <laughs> drove to Columbia and saw them just get trashed by Missouri when they were really good. You know, Auburn was a really good team last year by the end of the season, and yet they went over to Missouri playing very well and got killed. So, you know, they do this. Mm-hmm. They, they do this. Um, and it's just one of those things because human beings are human beings. I don't think there's anything anybody could, could do to make it, make it make it any better. So, All right. Well, that's the basketball segment. Uh, it's always good when we get to, <clears throat> get to talk about Auburn basketball. I, I, and I agree with you, too. I mean, you, you make a good point. We have to savor every bit of it because, I mean, you never know what could happen. I mean, you know, Bruce could get hired by Duke or something or North Carolina or Kansas next year. I don't know that he is, but you know what I mean? I mean, you never know, you know, you know what year is going to be the last year of something. And and you can't just always be looking ahead. It's like, you know, the story I've told before about I didn't go to the 1988 Sugar Bowl because I said, oh, well, Pat Dye's got us going every year. I'll just go next year, you know. And then we didn't go back again until, mm-hmm. you know, forever. So, uh yeah, you you've got to take you got to take uh, everyone you, you can't take any of them for granted. You you got to enjoy it while the enjoying's good, basically. So, any other basketball thoughts? You want to talk about signing day a little bit more? Let's talk, talk about signing day a little bit more. Yeah, a little bit. We we got we hadn't talked about Devin Barrett. Yeah, I we went from two running backs <laughs> to now four running backs. Woo! And one of those four is the signee and the other is the return of Devin Barrett. So, on a scale of one to a hundred, okay, you know how excited are you about Devin Barrett back at running back? <laughs> you know, before I give you just a <laughs> random number out of my rear end, let me say this: there was an article today <laughs> that I read about the previous running backs coach saying, yeah, that's really good. That's probably a good idea to bring him back and put him at running back again. And I'm like, if you think it's a good idea, why didn't you have him there? What are you talking about? Did you not have a vote? Did you not have a say? Did Gus come down and go, yeah, yeah we're going we're gonna to move Devin to, to defensive back. But, but, Coach, I think he'll be a good run- – no, no, I, I don't want him playing running back. He can't play running back for me. He can't play running back. He's got to play defensive back. I mean, what – 
How can you say, oh, that's a great idea to put <laughs> when you're the guy that put him in? <laughs> ah, I was just pulling my hair out reading that. But I mean, I, he was always a highly rated running back, and I never really understood why they only used him. Like, was it Harold Joyner was the same way? They did Harold Joyner exactly yeah. the same way. They, they put him in, throw him the swing pass in the flat. I mean, some people call it a bubble screen. It was more of a swing pass than a bubble screen because the bubble screen, you're already out there at receiver. Swing pass, you come from running back, and you roll out into the flat and catch the little pass from your left, coming from your left as you roll to the right, and you kind of head for the sideline and try to make a few yards down the right sideline. But that was the, like the only play he ever ran. And, and I mean, we had, you know, remember when he came in? He came in with, with Woody Barrett as the quarterback. And I was so excited for the two of them on offense. I said, it's the Barrett and Sherrod offense, remember? But um, didn't happen. Oh, how did that go? It did not work. It did not go well at all. And I thought we'd seen the last of all. I thought we had had a clearance sale on Barrett's. Uh, they even could have brought back Barrett Trotter just to kick him off the team. <laughs> have all the have a clean sweep of Barrett's. But, um, but I mean, I'm actually – mildly excited. I'll say, on okay, 100 scale, 0 to 100, how excited I'm going to bear back. Uh, about a 45, but I mean, that's it's only a, it's only 45 just because he's never really done anything. But he's never done anything because, honestly, I don't think they ever given him the chance to do anything. So here's one thing for sure. He's probably, he's definitely older, probably bigger and stronger than he was last time he played running back. So, I mean... That's got to help you, right? Being older, bigger, and stronger in the SEC is better than being younger, weaker, and thinner, right? Yes. No, I agree. He was kind of a he was a little thin at, coming out of high school as a running back, and I think I agree. I think it's a a good solid move. You know, I think Bigsby's going to be the guy next year, right? He's going to be the main. Yeah. But yeah. again, we return non conference games. So we're going to have some games where we're not going to play Tank Bigsby, you know, more than a couple of snaps, and somebody's got to carry the ball in those games. And I think somebody's got to back Bigsby up. And I think Barrett could easily, you know, it, it's going to be him versus Shivers. I think Barrett might could win that job. We'll see. Yeah, I, I, yeah, that's the thing is that we just don't have very much data. All we know is he's been around the program for a while, um, and that he came in as like a four-star running back, but then. As we were kind of saying a minute ago, how many four and five star players like that have we gone through the last ten years, and you know, nothing really became of them. So, yes, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see. But I, yeah, I'm glad I'm glad to have him back. We need bodies over there. I also wonder if they'll do anything creative with Peguies, JJ Peguies, Peguies. I mean, I think Peguies. That guy, I can't ever say it. Um, I mean, listen, Auburn has. Some real talent and depth at tight end, which is, you know, insane from where we were like two years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, we have some guys, we have some players, we have some depth and talent. I think this staff could use them. I think we can, you know, we've seen tight ends be successful, talented tight ends, and and I think the staff can use them. Um, I, you know, so I think, you know, all Pegues, we got a big tight end, you know, that we didn't really use last year, Frazier. Um, from and deal were effective as blockers, and I think the staff will find ways to use them that way and, and, and get them at the occasional pass. So I'm excited. And we got the, the true freshman signs, you know, in this class, Landon King, who's a, a highly recruited tight end. 
So, I mean, I'm excited to see what they can do with these pieces when they have the opportunity. This, his offense does a lot of disguising kind of looks and hmm. formations and, and, you know, the, you think it's one guy, but it's another guy and they're at the same place kind of thing. So I'm excited about that. Honestly, John, there was so much of Gus's offense over the years that I really did like, especially in the er- Gus, the early years. <laughs> but there was... <laughs> That's like a, a musical act. It does. Gus, the early years, the offensive <laughs> years, as opposed to just the offensive years. Yeah. Um, Before he went all acoustic. And- <laughs> there we go. Um, but the thing that drove me crazy was not... It, the, the, there was a lot of things that drove me crazy about his offense, especially in the more recent years. But one thing was always... I felt like there was a lot of gross incompetence at looking at the players we had and figuring out things to do with them that matched what they could do. It's like if they did, it would be one thing. Like they said, oh, that like Devin Barrett. Oh, he can catch a ball in the flat and get two yards up the right sideline. That is what he shall do from henceforth. You know, and I mean, it's just like they didn't, they weren't very creative in, in using Schwartz. They weren't very creative in, in, in mm-hmm. a lot of the players that we had. They tried to be kind of creative with Piggies, but they just, you know, they did a couple of things with him. But I just, I'm hoping that this new staff will be more competent at being creative in how they use the pieces that we have on the board. I think that's a great point. And I think that's what I really want out of this whole thing is, you know, not how can we take the pieces we have and kind of force fit them into the system but right. what do the pieces we have what what are their strengths what can they do well and how can we deploy them most effectively to do what they can do well to help contribute to the team's success and i think we're going to see more of that and i think it's going to lead to more variance from year to year what kind of teams we have right um, yeah like what the offense looks like year to year might be really dependent on the you know the the talent yeah, no, I agree. And in different positions. And, and do we have guys who are good at this or good at that? Mm-hmm. And it's also going to, by the way, talking about signing day and stuff, it's really going to be interesting next signing day because obviously this signing day was as much a Gus class as it was a Harson class, if not more, probably much more Gus. It's going to be interesting next year to see the kind of players that he gets because they'll be players he's gone out and gotten rather than just like trying to keep what he can get, you know? Mm hmm. I'm really no, it would be interesting. Uh, are we, yeah, what kind of players will they go for, and do we see differences from what mm. you know they would go for to what Gus would go for? Exactly. Yeah. Um, we talked a little bit about how this class was just never going to be a, a five star class. It's just a top five. It just wasn't. It wasn't with Gus, and it wasn't with as it worked out. Hopefully. With the way it worked out, things will get better, though. I don't think it was ever going to get any better given the way that it was going. You know, They were just recruiting against Gus every year, saying, don't go there, he's about to get fired. Well, they can't really say that now. Um, but you had a note about their philosophy, and I wasn't sure were you were referring to the old staff, the new staff, who were picking or what. So you want to elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. I'm really talking about the new staff in terms of just mm-hmm. kind of what was their plan for this current class. I think they could have run around and – thrown offers at guys and tried to get a couple more highly ranked guys, but I think they were picky. You know, I think they really took their time and wanted to evaluate people before they went in on people. And they, as I said earlier, I think they, you 
But there, we lost some guys that were committed to Gus because it was the the personal relationships, and that's where, like, I think anybody who thought he could come in and you know grab a bunch of big recruits right away was kind of being unrealistic. Is that you know these players build relationships with coaches over a period of time, and they had relationships with Gus's staff, and not so much with his staff. But I think they were really smart at looking around about who they liked and who they could get and being kind of strategic about it. And, and I thought it was pretty smart. I think we have some really good recruiters on the staff. And I think they've also said, I, I, part of their philosophy also was how much time are we going to spend on the, you know, the current year given the situation versus getting to the guys in next year and the year after, because mm-hmm. that's where, you know, they're going to make the money, I think. And so I think they, a certain part of the calculation was we're going to spend a good amount of time on the guys for next year because just so many of the top guys for this year were off the board already. Yeah, that's a good point. And I did, I, I thought it was interesting in, in, uh, in Harson's con- uh, press conference afterwards, he really kind of stressed more than I expected. He stressed how picky they were and how they, they were looking for a particular type of person. And I mean, I guess that's easy to say, after the fact, but it's he seemed really sincere as if they had like been very spe- very particular and very specific about you know what I mean about who they who they even were willing to offer yes. and stuff. So that was interesting to me because I didn't know that we had room to be that picky this year. So that surprised me. No, but I think it's important, and it goes back to what I was saying about like the Clemson comparison thing. Like I think you know they want players that have the right attitude and mindset, willingness to work and, and you know, willingness to be a team player and all that kind of stuff. You know, you can't tolerate a bunch of, you know, players who are kind of selfish, me first, prima donna types. If you have a bunch of those and guys that don't want to work and don't want to practice hard and stuff, then pretty soon the whole team collapses, right? No mm-hmm. sports team, whether any sport can work if you have too many players like that. And so I think you have to be very picky about understanding the, who the who they are, who recruits are as people, um, as much as you know how high can they jump and how far can they throw the ball and all that kind of stuff. So I think that piece is really important. Um, you know, it, it's easy to watch a high school football game and see like, okay, this guy's twenty pounds bigger than everybody else, and he's much faster than everybody else. He, you know, maybe he could be a college player, but it's the other pieces like the you know, the, the willingness to do the extra stuff, uh, that, that matters. I think, I think will make a difference. Yeah. I, well, I, and it's, it's going to be interesting to see how this class fits in. It's, it's, it's always going to be looked over. I mean, I always think of, of, uh, Patrick Nix's, a press conference Patrick Nix was in on, um, after we maybe went, it, maybe it was the, um, after we beat Florida the second time. And I remember him saying, People said our recruiting class wasn't worth a flip. <laughs> I always remember him saying that and thinking, you know, they're always going to look at this class as like a – it's it's almost like um, the way they looked at Chiswick's first class after Tuberville left after 08 going into 09 and um, kind of a salvage job, you know. But it is going to be interesting in the next mm-hmm. couple of years to see how they – if they really contribute. And I think that – I really like the running back. I like the quarterback. I like the running back. So let's look at the um, – uh, you, you have your rule about don't overvaluing recent commitments, and I want to talk about that. But I also want to look go ahead and look at the uh, – at what our <laughs> commitments are. 
So, so let's talk about the guy we got committed last Friday. <laughs> That's what I'm just about to say. Yeah, I think Jarquez Hunter is the is the crown jewel of this class. That three star running back from Philadelphia, Mississippi, because he came in last. So clearly, he's the best, right, John? Right, right. Exactly. Yeah. So we we um, shouldn't overvalue the more recent guys. You've always said that, right? Yeah. No, I mean, I think guys. You know, some of these guys that have committed so long, Demetrius Davis, Lee Hunter, Marquise Robinson, you know, those guys have been committed a long time. And, you know, a lot of Auburn players, have uh, Auburn fans have just kind of accepted that. Uh, but those guys are all excellent players and difference makers, and, and we should be delighted to have them. Mm. Um and so I, I, I think that's a, a huge thing. Uh, you know, Amari Harvey is a, a high-recruited safety. We need him. You know, we, one of our big safeties went pro early. So I think um, those kind of guys make a big difference. And they, even though they've been committed a while, everybody gets excited about the new guys. I'm excited about the, you know, the new junior college linebacker, too, um, Joko Willis. But – and I'm excited. I think the running back from Mississippi has some potential. So – but I'm – you know, we need to remember that you know we've had these other guys uh, for a while, and I think they have. You know, a lot of Auburn fans have. You know, they've been committed so long, we just kind of accept them and and kind of put them in the. Well, that's not new anymore. I'm only want new, new, new. I think it is interesting too that this class has really players from all over the place. It wasn't that long ago that it felt like we got all of our players from Georgia and Florida and a couple from Alabama if we were lucky, you know. But this group has got players from North Carolina, from Texas from Michigan, you know, I mean, it's, it's Kansas city, Missouri. I mean, that's uh more than, in fact, more than one from Texas. And I am, I mean, I am looking mm-hmm. forward. I mean, Demetrius, if you haven't seen Demetrius, Demet- I guess it's pronounced Demetrius, Demetrius Davis, you look at his highlights, man. I mean, he's, I, I know I always get kind of weak in the knees over these dual threat, roll out, run, throw quarterbacks, because some of our, you know, let's be honest, some of our most exciting moments in the last 10 or 12 years for Auburn football have been when we had that kind of a quarterback. I don't know that that's the kind of quarterback that um, that Harson wants, you know? I mean, I feel like we're going to maybe see the return of the pro-style quarterback. What do, what do you think about that? Any sign, Any sense of that? Uh, I think, again, it's what we talked about earlier about how we use the players. I think Harson and his coaching staff are smart enough to use guys and use their strengths – and if the guy, if he can run and make plays running and passing, they're going to do it. You know, they're going to uh, not force him to stand in the pocket and be somebody he's not. They had quarterbacks at, at Boise who could who ran and had success with it. And I think the reality is Demetrius Davis is just a good quarterback who wins. And yeah. he's won a lot and he, he makes plays. And so I think that's a you know the kind of guy you want. And I think – it's where football we talked about this a lot in the last year is where football is and where it's going is, you know, you need a guy that can be a, a playmaker at that position and make stuff happen. And he can do that. I don't want you to get too excited and maybe pass out or anything, but I'm looking at our list of signees in this class and I see two guys coming out of high school, I guess, that are listed as offensive tackles, John. Oh, 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 oh. it's the, <laughs> The big one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's the worst one. This is a big one. You get out, Elizabeth. I'm coming to join you, honey. I'm telling you what, man. I mean, 
That's been a long time since I got to play that. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably since the last time we signed an offensive tackle out of almost, high school. Almost, gonna, it's gonna, oh, you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> probably, I, I feel like the last time we Auburn signed an offensive tackle out of high school was the last time Sanford and Son was on the air. <laughs> Actually live, you know. Oof. How? <laughs> But uh, yeah, we got to Colby Smith and Garner Langlow. Garner Langlow is a great name. That sounds like a character from like a, um, uh, like a rum punch, you know, whatever that guy. What's his name? Uh, one of those books. So I know yeah. who you're talking about. He right. writes the books of Florida. Yeah, the funny crime yeah, books. Yeah. Um. So, <laughs> so what do you? Th- I mean, what else do we want to say about this recruiting class before we lay him to rest? I mean, that's. Got some got some pass rushers. It looks like uh, got got three safeties. That's interesting. I've never seen a class with three safeties. I don't think before. Um, decent. Got some defensive line. A little bit of everything, honestly. I mean, again, uh, Kamal Haddon's a JUCO cornerback. We can always use another good cornerback. Uh, um, you know, Iku Leota is the guy from Northwestern. Again, and this is one of those weird things. He's. He's a graduate transfer, but because la- and he graduated early and last year didn't count, he has three years of eligibility left. And this is a guy that was like third team all Big Ten last year as an edge rusher. Um, so he can play. Um, and that guy is a – and he doesn't count towards the recruiting ranking. That's one right. of the reasons. He's he, not even on this board. He, so I think – yeah. So I, to me, like he – is as valuable as anybody we got signed and because it's a gigantic need area and that guy's going to make a difference. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, any class where you get a future central franchise quarterback and, a you know, and then it, we Hunter, I think is the, the next big great Auburn defensive lineman. I think he's going to come in and play early a lot next year. Um, you know, I think we'll see about some of the other players, the skill position guys. Hal Presley, I think, is a receiver that's really physically talented. He's explosive and you know tall and fast and all that kind of stuff. And he's a guy that could you know that could come in and make a difference. So I'm I'm excited to see what happens. And again, they have five or six spots left. I think they're going to take some some other transfers. And because you know guys didn't use eligibility last year, I think you're going to see them. They're not going to focus on like a you know, a guy that's got one year left, they're going to want somebody that's got two or three years of eligibility left to come in and play. So um, you had a couple of notes here about new additions don't just come from signing day. So that's what you're talking about, right? That we get some transfers and stuff. They don't count. And then uh, guys who redshirted didn't play much or did a Devin Barrett and just kind of bounced around like a pinball and suddenly they're back in the Back in the running back room again. I mean, what do we know about that? Anybody we're overlooking in terms of uh, guys that have kind of gotten hidden on the roster, you know, maybe get a whole new fresh start now? Yeah, I'm going to throw some names at you. Ready? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, Again, these are guys that are on the roster, recruited guys, but haven't played a lot yet. Again, we got some – I'll start on offense. You know, at receiver, we saw – Elijah Cannon's emergence in the bowl game. Um, but receiver is a place with a gigantic amount of opportunity. And yes. so we, we saw, you know, Xavier uh, Capers and Kobe Hudson a lot last year. But there's some other guys there. 
JJ Evans, Malcolm Johnson Jr., Javaris Johnson, all were you know were pretty good recruits coming out of high school. I think, I think most of those were four star guys, and uh, and then the two guys we signed this year. I think there's some you know, but those guys have been around and have some ability and, and stuff. I think they could come in and make some plays. Um, you know, I think on the defensive line, you know. You've seen most of those guys play, but Truesdale coming back, we didn't talk about that, was a huge thing for Auburn. You know, a, a mm-hmm. starting defensive lineman who most people thought was going to go and, and go to the NFL or, or hang up his cleats is coming back, and he's going to play. And so that's a guy that you know, is going to be a difference maker uh, next year. And so I'm, I'm excited about that. But then we got some younger guys, I think, that haven't really had their opportunity, haven't really shown what they can do. Um, you know, we – we, we redshirted this guy basically last year, Romello Height, who's like a, a really oh, yeah. fast defensive end out of Miami. I think that's a guy for the future that could be a difference maker. And then I, th- I think about a guy like, you know, T.D. Moultrie, who just they wanted him to play the buck position and that wasn't who he was, but he really is the perfect fit for kind of a stand-up outside linebacker spot. Mm. And I think he could be one of those guys who in a different system – could just emerge and be a really, really good player for Auburn. So, uh, and again, we we recruited. We have a bunch of highly recruited linebackers we brought in the last couple of years. They only played a little bit last year, and I don't know how much they're going to play this year. But we're going to play more linebackers. You know, where we mostly just played two last year. But you know, mm-hmm. Cam Riley, Wesley Steiner, Desmond Tindall, I, you know, those guys, and we got Joko Willis, this new guy. I think, but those guys, you know, Steiner. Tisdale, Riley, those guys are the future at linebacker, I think, and um, yeah, I think they're going to play a good bit this year. So those are guys I, I would just kind of keep my eyes out for. How about that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, anything else that I'm missing about uh, you? Did you, you, you do anything about 22, 23 that you want to mention <laughs> before we wrap up this segment? No, other than I want to go back to what I said. Like you and I are not issuing any judgment about this coaching class and their ability to recruit off of what happened in the last week or two. But we are going to have a serious conversation a year from now yeah. when we see the outcome of all the work, you know, from the next year. So that's one of those, just like put a pin in it. We're going to come back to that one. Right. Right. Because we're not insane. Like the AL.com writer who just was trying to stir <laughs> things up. Um, well, I always have to point out at this point in the show, we've got our, uh, we've got listener questions and around the SEC coming up. I'm looking forward to hearing what people are asking about. But first, we have to always thank the folks that keep our show on the air. If you want to be part of this show, part of the AU Wishbone family, all you got to do is go to www.auwishbone.com. Just go to auwishbone.com and click on the big orange button that says become a patron, and you can sign up for as little as a dollar a month, though we appreciate more. And the 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 higher your you know, the higher you sign up, the uh, the earlier in our little list here I mention you and you get other benefits as well, including I guess soon we'll have our March Madness brackets that that John and I like to do every year, and our patrons get to participate in that. As well as, you know, we had our bowl pick that was just over recently, and we'll be doing various other things. I'll be doing the, I guess I'll be doing the Fantasy Formula One this year. I didn't do it last year because the season was so screwed up, I didn't even really know if they were ever going to race. We do a lot of various things during the year that are participatory. So go to www.auwishbow.com. But the primary thing we do is we mention you every episode right about now. So we have to thank the following folks who are part of the AU Wishbone family. They include... 
And it's kind of out of order now. I said to go, aha, we have to thank Chris and Clinton Stewart, Carl Von Drunker and Samuel Salvatore, and Christopher Burleson. Thank you very much, folks. And then there is Bart Lindsay, Bradley Blackman, Chris Usher, Gary Grant, Phil Amthor, Richard Stevens, Steve Trawick, Susan Trawick, Tom Anderson, Willie Carden, Ann Canjian, A. You Falling Up, Ben Bloodworth, and Clay Henson, and Dan Thompson, Daniel Odom, David Evers, David Hegler, Emmanuel Seaman, George Gaston, Jacob and Robin Fleming, James Greenwell, Joel Beckham, John Otsuki, Catherine England, Kevin Smith, Mickey B, Phil Davis, Preston Settle, Reynolds Wolf, Rich Reimer, Steve Harlan, Timothy, W.D.E. Ritchie, Wes Atkinson, William Morgan, Wilson Beard, Winston Body, Alex Nguyen, Blake Heron, Boris the Tiger, Cato the Barner, Chris, I know you don't want me to say Chris the Hilton. It just sounds funny when I do it that way. I, I abuse the I, I mess with the names of half of our patrons. Chris Hilton, Colby Butler, Danny Flack. And then there are there is, there are, there is, there are Darius Benton, David Simpson, Di Bama, and not a minute too soon. Earl Ricks, Eric Mahan, Hugh Anderson, Josh Teal, Kevin Kenoy, Kevin Mahan, Lane Middleton, Melissa Blackstone, Mike Finley, Algorithm, Papa Todd, Patrick Williams, Randall Walker, Rob Morgan, Ross, Russell Milling, Shannon Butson, Sarah Hines, Sasquatch, Shane Bailey, Snowdog, Stephen Houston, Tim Pittman, Tony Perry, Auburn Elvis, Ben Amos, Brandon Smith, Chris Como, Darren Pyle, David Smiley, Donnie Reynolds, James Taylor, Jason Albrick, The Weasel School, John Stubbs, John Zavachin, Joey Miller, Joseph Iliff, Justin Bean, Lawrence Kane, Mark Squire, Matthew Flowers, Mick Vigicana, Nicholas Craig, Paul Bankson, Robert Drain, Robert O. Sammons, Russell Souther, and finally, Ruth and Darren Sutherland. That's the truth, Ruth. Spanky, Stephen Thompson, Trevor Johnson, Kenneth Britt Rains, Brant Rumble, and Chris, plus our one-time and anonymous donors. We thank you all. And I got to tell you guys, I do try to have as much fun and entertainment value with reading your names as I possibly can so it's not boring. Uh, those of you that get special treatment, congratulations. Those of you that I just say your name, I'll, I'll try to spread the love around more and come up with clever ways to say your name. Uh, but anyway, we love every single one of you so much. www.auwishbone.com. And, oh, the whole thing's blown up. Oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. Here it is. Thank you. Order questions to the Prime Minister. It's time for listener questions. Dun, 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 on the AU Wishbone Podcast. In March Madness, let's shock the world. Well, Charles, it, it, it would shock the world if we were in March Madness because we're not really supposed to, we're not really doing that this year, but I just had to hit that button. All right, John, what we got for listener questions? Woo! I'm still recovering from that bomb blast. I'm telling you, it kind of um, shook the studio up. Whew. Dust is falling down from I, the. I gotta get the. Got to the dust out of my face. All right. Yeah. Uh, I I gotta be honest. Not a lot of questions tonight, so I'm mm. just putting it out to you, the listeners. Mm. I know it's the off season, but you gotta bring you gotta bring it a little bit more. You, I'm putting it on you. You gotta come Blame up with some yourself. good questions for us. <laughs> All right. I, 
Blame yourself. I don't know if you're blaming me. If that's we blame ourselves <laughs> or the listeners. I'm blaming the. I'm blaming, I did right. put out. I did put out a tweet um, this morning. I did put out a tweet this morning saying that we would I be saw, doing the show. I know you did. So they're they're just there's just not a lot to ask questions about right now. I guess, and that's and that's fine. But um, I know it's the off season. It is. It is. Well, I, I, so I would say again. It's the off season. If you have off season questions, off season level questions, we will answer them. Yes, that. that's a that's a good challenge to our listeners. I I, I wanted to say that um, quickly that uh, um, I forgot. <laughs> it's gone. I had a I had a clever comeback and it's gone. Oh well. Um, do we have any questions? I'm sorry. All right. So he, he, we have a question. Are oh, cool. I'm excited. Yes. All right. Let's do it. It is from Jared Albrecht. Oh. All right. <laughs> Question. Blame yourself. <laughs> Please clap. You said you're excited. So. I am. Let's do it. All right. Um, he says, I just, I just think it's funny because question. Jared, Jared uh, always sends in questions, and then, and then we, he feels like we don't always see them or something. And so I love that we can't avoid it, Jared. You, you had a. Br- I bet Jared went in and like rewired our email so that only his question got through, and we had no choice. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Jared is right now. Jared in real time is listening to this and going, Come on. Come on, man. <laughs> and I don't blame him a bit. He has every right. It's every right. All right. What is he asking? Let's do it. All right. Question or maybe suggestion for tonight's show. Okay. On a previous show. Previous? Are you, wish you guys mentioned some topic ideas for off-season shows, and I bring you one. Hmm. I definitely be interested to hear a top 10 individual plays episode it would be interesting to see the overlap of each of your list and i'd even be willing to help track down some of the audio for those plays anyway just a thought keep up the good work and so i thought since we had a, a a lack of good questions tonight. I thought we would just off the top of your head other mm-hmm. than the kick six mm, what yeah what what are two or three plays you think would definitely make your list? We got to get the prayer of Jordan Hare off too, because those two are just so obvious. That that was the year of the big play. So, okay. so and by by the way, I just want to say Jared is very very good with audio stuff, as you've seen from the the Robo Gus and the Eagle and all that. So whenever we can get Jared to do some little thing for us as a as an extra bonus part of our show, I'm always for it because he always does a great job with those, and it's always funny and very cool. Um, all right, so you want to do like three great individual plays off the top of our head? Yeah. All right, I have to. I always have to start with. I'm I'm going to have a two way tie here. It's basically the same play in two different games in two different years, and that is called Nix to Sanders, Patrick Nix to Frank Sanders, future Arizona Cardinal receiver. Uh, once was in the '93 Iron Bowl, and the uh, on fourth down when he came in when Stan White got hurt. And the other was in the Florida game the next year in the Swamp. I was at both games. I saw both of them live. And they were just amazing, amazing plays, both of them, where Nick's just put the ball in the, in the you know, right in the front corner of the end zone, right on the goal line or just beyond it. And Frank Sanders just climbed the ladder and took it out of the air before the defensive back could do anything about it. And, and it was just, they just had that, you know, they were in sync in that way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I, I mean, I, I was trying to think of a great. Is I've torn. I want to pick a great like interception return. Yeah. I'm thinking about Chris Schelling against Florida. 
yeah. I also thought about the you know the the LSU interception <laughs> game. The entire defensive um, secondary against yeah. LSU. <laughs> I could have picked multiple players there. Yeah. Um, so th- I think those were, you know, up high on my list. I think, um, you know, I think about Cadillac uh, and that you know, the first game we got to play against Alabama and kind of the you know, the, the the first big run where he oh three you know, he was saying go crazy Cadillac go, yes. um, Nine, yeah two thousand three yeah. yeah Iron Bowl yep. Um, I'm, you know, um, I, I want to say I'm, we're kind of bouncing back and forth here. I want to say I, I, I think that the one from 2010 on the positive side, like we did something great. You got to look at Cam's run against LSU, right? I mean, that was the Heisman Trophy yeah. play of the year. Okay. Yes. yes. But but yes. honestly, yes. there was another there was another play in that season that that got us in the national championship game every bit as much probably as that play. And it was something we really didn't even do. It was just a miracle that it didn't work out for the team. It doesn't get a lot of conversation, honestly. But I want to take you back to the Clemson game, which is probably the game we came the closest to losing of any game all year. I mean, Mm -hmm. I know we kicked a field goal to beat Oregon. I know we kicked a field goal to beat Kentucky. But both of those games were tied when we kicked that field goal. We were not going to lose if we missed the field goal. And against Alabama, yeah, we were down 24 to 7, but we came back and led almost the entire fourth quarter. So those games were salted away or they weren't going to be lost on that play. The Clemson game is the game where one play, if it goes the other way, they win and we lose. And that was when they threw that pass in the end zone in overtime and it went off the fingertips of their receiver and then they missed the field goal like on the next play or whatever. Mm-hmm. They had that, and if they had gotten that, they would have won the game. They would. There would. That was the second. You know, the second. Yes. The second possession of overtime. If he caught that ball, we're not undefeated, and we might not be in the national championship game. That one play, and we really didn't do anything. It's just their receiver didn't catch the ball. And I mean, it's it's things like that where it's not even something you do. It's just a miracle that somebody else doesn't do something. You know, that's the plays, the kind of the hidden, the hidden plays in a big year. I like that one. Uh, um, the other one I'm going to throw out is maybe the, the block punt against Florida at home and the, Trey Smith recovering for a touchdown in that <laughs> oh, game. The Pontiac um, game-changing play of the year. <laughs> it was. Yes, because it was a it was a great play. So, I was at that game too. A huge game. I actually I had just moved here and I f- I got ticket to that I got a, t- a ticket to that game and I flew back down to Birmingham. It's the only time I've ever flown to Birmingham and rented a car and drove from Birmingham to Auburn and went to that game. I was at that and I was so glad because nobody thought we were going to win really, and I was so glad that I was at that game. That was awesome. Yeah. Oh, the plate when when, tr- when he caught that punt and went in the end zone, did the back flip into the, or forward flip into the end zone. Oh my mm. gosh, that was incredible. Um. How about – I was trying to think of one in the 80s, but our 80s games usually didn't come down to one. I mean, I guess the 80s play well, that is like the most famous would be Tillman, Tillman, Tillman against Georgia Tech, <laughs> followed immediately by Andre Bruce. Sure, but, <laughs> but I think about – I was going to say, I think about, I was at that game, and I think about the Andre Bruce running it in the end zone. <laughs> right. But also I think the – you know, uh, Flor- the Florida, we've talked about this game a lot, the Florida game at home where Wazden caught the pass from Slack in the end zone. Right? Oh, yes. Um, 80, 80, 
89, the 89 Florida game, yeah. Yeah, yeah that was huge. a defensive struggle. Emmett Smith, one touchdown when we fumbled on our own five-yard line, and that was him the entire night. And then we just had to find a way to score to beat him, and we got him on that, yeah, slack to Wasden. Um, also, the, one other one comes to mind is the, is the, the last – is the um, Brandon Cox to Aroma Shadu against Georgia on 4th and 10, 2005. Mm-hmm. Where he fumbled yeah. into the end yeah. zone and like Courtney Taylor got it, and then we kicked the field goal. That was one of those deals yeah. where, if that had been a Gus Malzahn team, I feel like we would have we would have we would have scored the touchdown. But there would have still been like a minute left on the clock, and Georgia would have come down, scored the touchdown, gone for two, and gotten it. We would have lost. But it just worked <laughs> out that because yeah. we fumbled it, we were able to run the clock down and kick the field goal and win. So you know, it it actually worked out better that we fumbled. It's kind of like I wish that on you know in the in the Rose Bowl I wish that Trey Mason had like fumbled and recovered his own fumble on the one inch line on that last you know You're just uh, kneel kneel down instead of running it in you and, you can't do that you know you can't but gosh I wish he had yeah. <laughs> I wish he'd taken a knee on the one inch line well like, but I, but we've seen it, it in the last year we've seen a couple players do it yeah because off this is and this is insane it was different then but. Because offenses are so good now that if you were playing an offense like 2019 LSU or last year's Alabama, you wouldn't want to leave them, you know, a, no. a minute or 45 seconds on the clock. You'd mm-hmm. rather, you know, kneel and, and take your chances trying to get it in the end zone. Yeah, and then what happens is you end up getting stuffed on the goal line, and everybody's like, "See, if you had just scored and put your let your defense win the game for you." So you have no way of knowing, you know, you can't go back in time and you can't go to the alternate universe where we won that game and, and say, no, see, if we'd done this differently, we would, you know, so we'll never know. We'll never know. We just are condemned to suffer for all of eternity because of the way that stupid game worked out. But I don't want to end on a, on a downer. Tell me one more good play. Tell me one more good play and we'll wrap up with that. I was trying to think of another great special teams play, a kick block or a Ooh. punt return maybe. Well, I mean, other than 72 Alabama, but that's a little before our time. Okay, that's fair. Um, but we've had some other games where we had huge punt blocks or punt returns or kick returns. Well, we blocked um, a punt against Arkansas in Cam's year that was pretty cool. And you mentioned the punt block yeah. against Florida in 06. Um, it seems like a lot of our big special teams plays like that have come, though, against lesser teams like Ole Miss or one of the you know cupcake mm-hmm. teams. I don't... I don't remember a lot of really game change. Oh, I do. I do. John, this is one you'd want to think of. 2000 LSU, Nick Saban, first year coaching LSU. They, they're they losing, but they scored. They're like they're catching up to us, and then they kick off to our really super fast future NFL receiver, and he ran it back 100 yards. You remember that? That guy, he went to play for like the Giants yes. or something. I can't I can't think of his name, mm-hmm. but the, the 2000 it was a kickoff return against Nick Saban's LSU, and we ended up winning that game like 34 to 17. I want to say, yeah, I'm going to type in 2000. That's a good one. This is always fun radio. 2000 <laughs> LSU Auburn football. Let's see if it, if anything just pops up. Let me see. I, I oh yeah, 34 to 17. I had the score right, and the That's uh, pretty good. and the Tim Carter 100 yard kickoff return. Yeah. It was it was Alabama had just scored Josh Reed from Josh Booty 
to make it 20 to 17 Auburn. They were coming up, they were coming back, and on the very next possession, they kicked off, and Tim Carter went 100 yards and made it made it 27 to 17. And we then Rudy Johnson scored to cap it off at 34 to 17. Beating Nick Saban, no matter where he's coaching, is always a good thing. And Nick Saban and LSU together—that's the double. Yeah, <laughs> and it was that was a huge. It was a huge play because it looked like momentum was shifting to them in that moment in the game. Ex- I remember that. Exactly. So that's a good one. I like that. Exactly. I feel and like – Again, I no, – Go ahead. I was going to say, I, I, because I'm a person who likes defense, I was trying to think of another defensive play, like mm-hmm. a big sack or something. You know, oh. Uh, not even a turnover, but just another big sack. I mean, you, you, there's plenty of Nick Fairley ones. Yeah. Um, I, got a, I got a big sack for you, the biggest sack I ever saw in, Aub- in an Auburn game. Yeah. 1990 yeah. against Florida State. And was it Peter Tom Willis, maybe? <laughs> yes. They, it was the end of the game. He fell, he chased him backwards. Chased him like 30 yards backwards. And then he started stumbling after that and he fell another, he stumbled backwards another 10 yards, ended up losing like 30. Yeah, it was amazing. That was like the biggest meltdown of a quarterback sack I've ever seen in my life. Holy cow. The only thing funnier than that. The only thing funny to that, do you remember there was a there was a Miami against somebody game, the Miami Hurricanes against I can't maybe it was against Texas or somebody, and it was when Russell Maryland was on the Miami defensive line, and he just kept coming up the middle and sacking the quarterback. <laughs> I kid you not, the down and distance on that it, sequence. Huh? I think it was A and M. It may have been. The down and distance on that sequence went like first and ten. Second and 20, third and 35, and I swear to you, it ended fourth and 55. I remember thinking, good gosh, that's over half the field. <laughs> I was like, how do you? Because I think they had a holding call or two in there, too, and it ended up being literally fourth and 55. Never in my life have I seen a fourth and 55. That's like you punt and, it do- and you get a great punt off, and it doesn't even get to the original line of scrimmage. <laughs> You get a 42-yard punt, and it doesn't even make it to the line of scrimmage of the, where the drive started, where that sequence started. Not the drive, the sequence, you know, first down. Anyway, well, that was pretty cool. Thank, I appreciate Jared getting us cranked up on there. That, that, that used up a lot of uh, – that, that got us through a lot of material there. That was good. It did, but I think we can – that was us off the top of our head. We can do better if we really think deeply about it. So we'll do a po- an off-season episode on this. <coughs> yeah. If you have suggestions, you the listener, oh yeah, send them to us. Good call. At auwishbone at gmail.com, uh, and we will include them on the list. Well, this last thing here, we were going to just quick take a – I guess like a quick trip. And we'll wrap up. A trip around the SEC. And and that is um, oh, I'm noticing that my input level is very low here. I wonder if that's I wonder if that's causing any issues here. Maybe I don't know how to change it though. Weird. Anyway, um, so you just had a note about where some of our old staff ended up. What do you got? What do we What do we need to know? Well, the big news today was Cody Burns hired at Tennessee. Oh wow. Okay. Uh, um, yeah. The new staff there. So uh, we already knew that uh, Travis Williams was at Miami. Um, and he actually is at Miami with Tavares Robinson and Rhett Lashley. Um, so, you know, for a lot of Auburn fans, wow. some people cheering, you know, some cheering for Miami in some games this year. Um, 
Jack McNell Jr. went to Louisville as the offensive line coach. Okay. And Wesley Wesley McGriff was quickly hired at Florida to replace their defensive backs coach. Hmm. Um, and then, you know, Steele and Garner were in Tennessee and now are not. So we'll see what happens with that. <laughs> um, <clears throat> I did just adjust, by the way, my input level. So if I sound louder now, good. If I sound over, overbearingly loud, I'm sorry. And I'm just always learning new things. This is interesting. I've actually got a thing here that suppresses background noise like dog barking, computer fan, pen taps. And it, I didn't even know that was there. Maybe this is like a new thing that they've... Um, huh. I don't know what any of that is. I'm going to have to spend some time, obviously, on this when we're done. So, all right. Well, that's cool. I'm glad that Cody's got a job somewhere, although Tennessee might not be the... Well, I mean, with the new staff, they're kind of, they're kind of starting over. But, man, that Miami staff sounds pretty formidable, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's fun from an Auburn perspective. Definitely yeah. going to be excited to you know, keep it eye on them and, and cheer for them in some games. And I'm curious to see how T Wheel does in Miami because we're all want we all I think everybody wants him to do well and is wishing him the best, so that's cool. All yeah. right. Any final thoughts tonight before we wrap up? No, other than another signing day in the books and like we said, the you know, whatever old old signing day, not nearly as big a deal as it used to be yeah. ten years ago. Uh, used to be huge, dramatic, you know, all this stuff to keep up with and pay attention to and now it's much less than that but it's still interesting all right okay doke well i reckon uh that will do it for us tonight our time is up we thank you for yours war eagle john Regular man. thanks for listening to the au wishbone find links to everything we do at www.auwishbone.com for more auburn fun join us on twitter at au wishbone and at facebook.com slash au wishbone War Eagle. The AU Wishbone is produced by Van Allen Plexico and John Ringer. Copyright 2020. This has been a White Rocket Entertainment production. Thank you for listening to the AU Wishbone Podcast.